Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast, it's brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're back for yet another podcast episode here at Boca. And I'm, I'm actually joined by a really brand new friend of mine. And I know I say this a lot, and, and Dave, I mean this completely. Um, I consider you a friend, a new one at that, and we're going to get to know each other together along with our listeners. Thanks for making time to have a conversation with us. Oh, yeah, I'm absolutely excited to be here, man. I appreciate it so much. We were having a little bit of conversation uh, before I hit the record button, and you let me know that you've played in a number of rock bands over the years. Was, were these bands that you started yourself? Um, <laughs> probably the worst of them was the ones that I started myself. <laughs> the, the ones that were halfway decent, I think I joined in a into somebody else's vision for what we had. Do you do you think music affects at all how you approach photography and your photography business? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'd always had a desire to be musical, probably more so than my uh, innate talent had led on. So I think that when I shifted out of my kind of career, if you would call it that, inside of music into photography, it was still that creative outlet. But it also gave me the idea of like working with a team and how to kind of bring parts to a whole, like if I see it like as like different instruments and then different pieces of photography, be it equipment, light, whatever it is. And so I think it was that similar, like it kind of scratched the same itch in a lot of ways. Yeah, that makes sense. The, the creative outlet, I, I mentioned to you as well before we got started that I was involved in music heavily, actually, as a kid, the requirement, the minimum requirement in my family, I have three younger brothers, um, two parents who, and we all played music in one form or another. Uh, the, the requirement was you played two years of piano and then you were allowed to pick an instrument. And so I played wow. two years of piano starting in, I don't even remember when, I think maybe in first grade, somewhere in there. And then I, I ended up picking clarinet as my instrument. I did trumpet for a week, didn't like how that felt on my lips, and <laughs> yeah. went, went to clarinet. And my dad's heavily into classical music, so that very much affected the type of music that we were playing. Uh, my parent, or my mom as well, I guess, to an extent, but I played clarinet all the way up into college and, um, and then oh, picked wow. up saxophone as well. And I don't play as much as I used to, but it's there is something to be said for the creative outlet. And now my son, I mentioned to you, is is very yeah. much into jazz saxophone, and to see and and really kind of observe from the outside because it's so ultimately very very complicated. I think jazz music, the way that he's learning how to put music together um, to improv, it's it's a fascinating thing. But it challenges a part of your brain that um, I think a lot of other parts of our lives doesn't challenge or don't challenge. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy to see, uh, like, I had always kind of had a desire to just make something. I think that was my big thing. So mm. I just wanted to create something. And so sometimes it was just getting an idea out of my head. And that's kind of how I found song. And, and sometimes it was learning how to do that somebody else had done something. I was like, oh, let me see if I can figure that out. And you know, learn it. And uh, when I got into photography, I felt like that just carried over so seamlessly where I just sometimes I just wanted to learn what somebody else had done, be it a lighting technique or something. Um, photographers that I looked up to had just done like some crazy stuff. I remember like early on looking at like a Bernizer method or something like that. Just a cool stitch, like a very technical way of shooting, planning ahead type stuff. But then there was also the I just want to make something. I'm in this cool spot. I'm in this like new location. And I just I just want to make something here that I can kind of share with people. And I felt that was a really easy transition over, which is cool. 
That is cool. I like the simplicity of that notion too. And it's a beautiful thing that the idea of just wanting to make something, to create something. And there's so much opportunity in that regard, both in business and, and in photography. And actually speaking of, I'm, I'm trying to do a little bit better job of actually introducing the guests that we have in the podcast. And in past episodes, <laughs> I just kind of jumped right into conversation. So give us the 30-second the version. Where are you based and what type of photography does your business offer? Yeah, so I'm, I'm based out of Raleigh, North Carolina, and I've been here for about five years. I've been all over the States as well. I started out doing shorter wedding days and things like that. And now over the years, it's grown to the point where I prioritize my couple's marriage over anything else, mm-hmm. trying to remove the stress of a wedding day while adding in awesome portraits, no matter what happens. Uh, so that's really been my priority for my couples and for myself is I don't care what happens. I want their marriage to be the number one priority on a wedding day. Yeah. You know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I like the focus that you have on, I mean, the word that comes to mind here again is is service. Um, I grew up in a very conservative world, if you will, just to put it very, very, very simply, but there's, there's a word service or to serve, a phrase to serve that you don't hear as readily in kind of modern um, secular culture. And I think I think we we could stand to use it a bit more, and especially when it comes to the photography industry, this idea of truly focusing on taking care of, in this case, your client, and what it you know this idea of of serving them. Obviously, we we don't. There's no need to be confused about what that means, other than just making your main focus to make sure that that person feels good about interacting with you at the end of the day. And, and ultimately, of course, the photographic experience, you, you talked about helping make it as easy as possible or as positive an experience as possible. I love that focus. And I think we could all stand to, to focus on that maybe even more. Yeah. I mean, uh, so I was, uh, I was real big into like some learning how to shoot and learning how to be like super technical when I first started out. And a few years ago, I was at a fearless conference in Charleston. Yeah. And photographers, Matt and Tara Thielen were up and they were giving this awesome presentation. And at one point during their talk, they said, it's it's their wedding day, not your photo shoot. Yes. And when they said that, man, it wrecked me. Because like, I was taking like, sometimes I take like a couple hours for, for portraits. And I was like, oh, man, like that was that did that that sat in my stomach for a long time for me to process and really incorporate it into my business to the point where I was like, no, they're getting married today. I'm just here to show how awesome that story is. And that, that level of service is something that I don't think we as artists always focus on. I think sometimes we can really get focused on what I'm making and what I'm creating a lot more than that. And so getting back to that was a really big impact in my business. Wow. And and that quote sums it up beautifully. But I think it's also good to point out that these concepts aren't mutually exclusive, right? I mean, the, the yeah. it's, it's almost a, a fun challenge to figure out how to be as creative as possible within the the context or the focus of, I want to make sure that my clients feel incredible because of the way that they interacted with me. And, and by the way, what's interesting yeah. about that is something that we've also alluded to in the podcast before. A lot of the experience the client has with us has little to do with the actual photography and more to do with how they feel as a result of interacting with you and your brand, right? Yeah. Oh, man. That's, there's so much we could unpack there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's just remarkable that like you can't fake this. Like It's when you really prioritize your client on kind of over yourself as an artist, you're actually able to create better stuff because of how much you care without losing that, that kind of personal and, and priority of them as a, as a couple. And it just, it's remarkable how much of a difference I've noticed in my own work, how much better it's gotten just since I've made that the focus instead of, all right, I'm in this cool spot. Let me take 
five off camera flashes and make something amazing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Make it your production. And like you said, your show rather than their wedding day. Um, yeah. I, that, that, uh, that quote was really, really good. You know, there is, there is something to be said for that the service itself, the experience itself that we're creating for our clients. And in many cases, or at least elements of that experience may not necessarily be so different than the photographer next door. But I am curious, what is something that your photography business actually does different than other photographers in your market? And phrased another way, this is a question we ask a lot in the podcast. What is your photography business's brand position? Yeah, so it's uh, it's actually kind of funny because I've got photographers that I know in my market that are also like great photographers that speak all over the place. But the big thing that I do different is I'm not the anything to get the shot person. Uh, it's just the the antithesis of probably who I am as a photographer is I'm going to make sure that I'm never distracting be it the bride and groom, be it the co- the bridal party or guests from their wedding day. Okay. And so I really prioritize that marriage over anything else. I, mean, I got into this because like, I grew up in a pretty rough place and I really care a lot about marriage. I, my own, the couples I shoot, and I really just want to preserve that for people. And so that's really what I think sets me apart more than anything else is I really, really care about their marriage way more than I care about fancy pictures or a day. And if I can tell that story, well, I honestly believe that my pictures can help marriages last longer. That's cool. But you're talking about a, a, a mission essentially there that is yeah. way bigger than you, your ego, your art. Um, it is again about serving or taking care of your clients and, and there being a legitimate, um, I guess, feeling or heart behind that too. Because the other thing, the other side of this conversation is it's one thing to kind of put on a show and, and act nice or act friendly for the sake of the, you know, the five minute conversation you might have with a client or a potential client, but, <laughs> yeah. but people can tell, I mean, I, there, there've been plenty of interactions I've had just in our industry and, and, you know, certainly elsewhere in life where you, you can tell the significant difference between somebody who actually cares about the words that you're saying that are coming out of your mouth, who actually wants to engage with you. And then those who are just saying the words because that's the words that you say in that context and then they move on, right? <laughs> yeah. So having, having real heart behind what we do, I mean, it's, it, it may seem to go without saying, but it's good to be reminded of that, myself included. And, and I think about this not only in the context of relationships with, with those in our industry that I'm, that I may be doing business with, but even my kids too, that I'm not just kind of taking the easy way out in a conversation, but that I'm, I'm truly, I'm I'm being present, that I'm actually engaging with them because the impact that that can make, even as much as it might seem like just a little detail, side detail, um, could actually be quite incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, it's crazy how much I think kids is the the perfect example, man. They they see right through and they they know right through. And I have days where they you just like kind of like all right, I'm exhausted. I shot a wedding this week. I've got like I shot a double or a triple back when I used to do those horrible things to myself. And uh, I'd come in and I just try to check out, and like the kids would be like riled up or whatever. And I'm like, what's wrong with them? And I'm like, oh yeah, I've been completely absent today and stuff like that. And it's it's funny because I'm the same way your clients can be the same way like they don't if you don't actually care about them they're gonna know it and they're gonna feel it yeah. if you're just trying to just come in and get your check and go home yep they're gonna know 100 percent. well i'll leave it at that that speaks really loudly and and i think we can all stand to be reminded of of this principle it's really really good by the way you mentioned you've alluded to your family i mean you've got a couple of kids and then your wife's name is sarah correct yes yeah yeah sarah we've been married for eight years awesome. um 
through some pretty intentional change, which is awesome. She's dealt with me through the business owner growth, which I don't think has been the easiest process on her. Um, In fact, I know it hasn't uh, because we've shared about it. And then I've got my son, Jonathan, who is about 18 months old, and my daughter, Carolina, who is about to turn five. Wow. Well, an early happy birthday to her. That's really cool. And I, I can understand the passion for family and for your kids. It's something Man, it, it's an it's been an interesting uh, trip, if you will, being a parent. My, my <laughs> yeah. kids are, are seventeen and fourteen, so a similar age differential there. And I've I've learned and continue to learn a lot through that relationship with them. But uh, I'm I, I love to hear from somebody who is like you can tell legitimately is is passionate to borrow kind of a cliche word these days, but truly passionate about their family, about connection and relationships and, and intent being intentional about them. I think that's a really beautiful thing, but let me transition back to business for a second here. Yeah. You're, we talk about business. How long altogether did you say eight years? I know the eight years you and Sarah have been married. How long has the business been around? Um, so about nine years when all said and done, okay. I actually started out of an intro to digital photography course in college and then wound up working with the professor. So there's like an extra year on that where I was working in the field, but I wasn't officially in business yet. Um, so yeah, so all said and done just under, yeah, just under nine years or just over nine years. Okay. And, and during that time frame, what would you say is the most significant lesson that you've learned? Like that piece of that 15 second piece of advice that you would share with a fellow photographer if you had the opportunity. I mean, I'm sure this has been said before, but success happens when preparation meets opportunity. It was a quote that like hunted me down. Mm. Uh, Somebody told me that early on and I kind of understood it, but success happening when preparation meets opportunity means you get your lights set, you get, you get your ability set up for best case scenario. And then one of these days, man, that couple is going to do that dip perfectly right into your light and it's going to be amazing. But like, you take that dip shot 300 times and then the first time it comes out, you're like, this is incredible, but you got to be ready for it. And I think that's been everywhere, be it business, family, whatever it is, that's been the best piece of advice I've been given to really practice up and be ready for what happens. And then when it does happen, it's going to be, it's going to make a world of difference. Well, and I think we've both used the word intentional already in this conversation. And it's, I think it's important to be intentional in the effort to be prepared, right? I mean, there's, it's easy. And I know, I'll just speak for myself here. And this has not just been true in business. It's been true in, in other areas of my life, it, it, it seems. But I, I, there have been times where I've just assumed that, you know what, I, I can, I've got it figured out enough to get by, like, it'll be good enough. And then yeah. I end up in a situation because I'm not fully prepared, I end up stressed out. And, oh, yeah. And so just making the and, and the irony, of course, in, in many of those cases, probably is it wasn't that it even took an extreme amount of effort on the front end preparing for that particular situation. It was more just me being lazy and not making the effort. And and the reality is, if we put the time, the effort and energy into preparing for that, you know, there's so many different possible possible scenarios that we might run into as a wedding photographer, for example, just a professional photographer in general. If we actually put the time and effort into preparing we can be in that scenario. The stress is not an issue that enables us then to focus on the connection with the client or the clients and be a better photographer as a result. Yeah. It's, I mean, I've got this, uh, I get this shot and it's one of, one of a few awards um, because it's the, the couple is just, it's their first dance and I've got these two off camera flashes and the couple just turned in this just peak of emotion shot. And, and they're just so happy looking at each other in the middle of their first dance and the light, I've got cross lighting on them. So I'm lighting from two different corners of the dance floor. Both of my lights hit both of their faces perfectly. And they're opposite each other. This thing just is amazing. It's one of my favorite shots I've ever taken. 
But like I learned that lighting technique by setting up that in my kitchen, taking pictures of like tacos or something on my, <laughs> on my table or something until I was like, yeah, this is what the, the shadow should look like in that. And so like, it's funny to see, like you see the, the one side of it, which is like beautiful shot and that's, there's all this emotion and stuff. And then like, the preparation for that is really just a weird situation where I'm annoying my wife and she's trying to make dinner and I'm like, no, I want to see this. She's like, dude, you got to chill. <laughs> that's so funny. I've totally done that kind of thing before. Yeah, that's great. It doesn't matter where, where it is, right? We can set up those lights and get a camera out and, hey, can you turn this way? Can you turn that way just a little bit and lift your head up there? And Yeah, no, I totally get it. And by the way, for those of you listening in, uh, speaking of Dave's, Dave's work, you can check it out if you go, just go to Dave, D-A-V-E, Shay, S-H-A-Y dot com, com, And it's the same thing on Instagram. By the way, Dave, I have to ask you just kind of random point of curiosity here. I'm, I'm on the, uh, the recent work section of your website and I scroll down to the full moon resort wedding with, oh, yeah. with Charlie and Caddy. That, that picture right there, the, the depth of field uh, component is really interesting. What lens were you using to shoot that with? Um, I'm pretty sure... That was an 85. Uh, that's actually a Berniser. So uh, that's the second time I've mentioned Ryan today. Just kind of always been inspired by him from a, from afar. Uh, so that's a Berniser stitch. And I'm actually standing in the middle of water taking that with a, probably an 8514 and probably my D4S. Wow. Okay. So uh, tell us all what a Berniser stitch is. What does that involve? Yeah. So, I mean, and so I, I'm going to butcher this, I'm sure, uh, on the spot. So it's essentially the, the short version of the way that I would normally explain it if I had a bride or groom ask me is that I'm taking a portrait lens and I'm turning it into a landscape. And so I can take the, the benefits of shooting with a longer lens, like an 8514. So like the compression, the depth of field, the kind of dreamy look to it. And then I can create a wide angle shot by taking sometimes I think that one's probably around 80 or 90 frames um, and stitching them together to keep that depth of field, but also kind of include the rest of the scene. So like there is this really awesome place in New York that I flew up to shoot and I stood in the middle of the river. To, <laughs> I think it was pretty cold too. So, uh, and to shoot, but like, I wanted that scene. I wanted to show what it was looking like. Well, it's, it's an amazing effect and, and certainly one that caught my eye. So those, again, those of you listening in, we'll link to both the website and Instagram and the show notes, but you're going to want to make sure you go check this out. It's, it's quite stunning. And wow, that many shots to put together an image. That's quite the commitment on your part. Yeah, that's actually, it's, uh, Lightroom makes it surprisingly easy. Okay. Uh, the, one of my favorite things about the Bernizer stitch is it can make like a serious, like low impact on clients or sometimes even other photographers. Um, but Lightroom, if you keep it under a hundred frames, Lightroom will stitch it automatically for you. And it's usually pretty good as long as you've got some overlap. So like I'll, during my culling process, I'll actually build that in Lightroom once everything's imported before I start editing, I'll build those things out and usually it'll add on like an extra like 10 minutes, but I'm usually doing something else. So it's really no additional work to your workflow. And it's a, a big thing to separate you uh, in your market, which is cool. That is cool. That's beautiful. Well, uh, talk to us about time because I mean, we've, we've mentioned the fact that you have family and, and having family and business can be tough, especially as you, as you alluded to growing a business, developing a business, can be stressful, certainly time-consuming, and that can take away potentially from close relationships. What's one tip or technique, workflow, concept that you've implemented in your business that's helped save you time, going to give you more space for not only yourself, but of course for your family as well? Well, so I think automation has a, a largely bad rap to it. And so I always want to mention like, I've tried both sides of this coin. So like I, when I first started out, I was friends with every single client that I had. 
And so I would build out relationships with them. We'd go out to dinner multiple times and I would spend as much time with every client that I could. So every email that I sent out would always be super, super automated. But the problem was, is doing that, I wound up burning myself out and I wound up stressing my relationship at home with my wife. I wound up not spending the time I needed to with my kids. And the one, what the, my clients wound up with was like a frustrated photographer on their wedding day that was sending them super really nice emails. But like by the time I got to their wedding, I was so fried that I didn't put it all in. And so I think one of the things is like, don't look at automation or time-saving techniques as like, oh, well, I need to have everything super personalized all the time. You have to be the best version of you for your clients. Like if you've got stuff going on and you can't sort that stuff out, it's going to show up on that wedding day. Mm. And so my biggest takeaway was if it doesn't need my handwritten touch, like if it's not going to like really impact the client's lives, I found ways to automate just about everything about my business to the point where in 2014, when my daughter was born, I was making, I was doing about 60 to 75 hour work weeks on a good week. Um, bad weeks, I'd go way, way over that. Sometimes up, I think I had tracked like 115, 120 hour work weeks, which is just unreasonable for anyone. Wow. And then when I really, so I, I, I said, my wife and I talked through a lot and through Sarah's grace, I really was able to look and analyze a lot of stuff of what I was doing. Uh, about two years of being intentional about my time, I was able to get it. So now I work about 15 hour work weeks in terms of my photography company, which is pretty crazy of an adjustment. And that usually includes shooting. So door to door, so like from the time a client contacts me to the time they leave, I spend 23 and a half hours on average with every single client that I work with, where that number used to be about 60 per client. Wow. And, and how many, and maybe you already mentioned this, but how many weddings roughly will you shoot in a year? Uh, so that, <laughs> that year that my daughter was born, I shot 53 weddings, which I do not recommend a year that you're bringing a child onto this planet. Cause I was, that's no associates. Um, 38, 39 of those were for my own studio. So it's about 40 for me and about 10 or 15 for other people. And I see like I built an incredible business that year. I almost lost a lot because of it. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned the significance of automation and we're actually going to be touching on this in in much more detail in just a bit. Um, But I I like that you mentioned how this doesn't have to be an all or nothing proposition, kind of like we were talking about earlier, being a creative, being a photographer and also focusing on relationships. These are not mutually exclusive propositions, just like automation um, and also being engaged don't have to be mutually exclusive. You you leverage one for the sake of the other. And, and I like that you point out it ultimately enables you then to be truly present and engaged at a level which will be impactful to your clients on their wedding day or in the case of portrait photographers for the portrait session that they may be photographing. And I, and I hesitate to use the word balance here because that is such a subjective idea, but it's, it's <laughs> yeah. what we're talking about is it doesn't have to be all the way one way or the other. And that's important to keep in mind. What, what would you say is one of the most impactful business or self-help books that you've read or listened to? So, I, I mean, I talk a lot about automation and, and specifically work-life balance. And so there's always that the one that comes up is uh, the four-hour work week. But I took that kind of for what it's worth. And the bigger one that I've really been into lately is the power of habit. Um, it's just the idea of really getting certain things so you know what to do and when to do it. And if you get intentional about your time, man, it's just crazy what you can accomplish as a business owner. So four-hour work week and power of habit have both been, in their own way, fantastic for me. 
Yeah. So power of habit and the word that comes to mind there is consistency. This is something that I've been working on, on on multiple levels in my life, business and and personal as well. The significance of consistency and and getting the things done that you need to that are actually important to your your larger set of goals. But you mentioned the four hour work week that you took it for what it's worth. And it's interesting, you know, Tim Ferriss, who's the author of that book, has actually commented um, on the fact that that people took that title too literally. Uh, yes. that, that he wasn't actually <laughs> suggesting that everyone needs to work a four-hour work week. That ultimately was about using your time intelligently. But I'm curious about your perspective on that book and what you meant by that that statement. Yeah. So I mean, so I'm of the mindset that we have to think like a business owner as well as like an employee. So if we're doing some of this stuff, like there's always the question of outsourcing and when that becomes up. Um, but there's really the question of how are you managing your time and what are you doing. And I think what the four hour work week for me really made me aware of was, all right, I've got a limited number of work hours in a week, uh, number of weeks in a year, number of years in my life. What do I want to accomplish? What do I want to do in that time frame? And thinking through that and really being more intentional about it has given me the chance to go, all right, I'm going to log the hours that I work. Um, and I, when I say work, I don't necessarily mean like just editing something or just sending an email to a client. If I'm in photography groups scrolling through or having conversations or stuff, that's work. If I'm talking about which lenses I need to purchase, um, that's work. And so anything that's not me directly engaging with my family, my wife, or the, the things that I really want to be pursuing outside of my photography career, if that stuff's work, then I want to get that down to as little time as I possibly can to still be as effective as I possibly can. Hmm. And so it's, you're, you don't, it's a delicate balance for sure. But I really care a lot about making sure that I'm limiting that stuff. And that's what I think the four hour work week was great about was giving me the idea of like, hey, you've got to be intentional about this. And once you kind of have that awareness, there's a few systems, like a few kind of tricks you can take along the way. Well, and we'll link to both these books in the show notes for those of you who are curious. I think another book that goes along well with the four hour work week is the E-Myth or the E-Myth Revisited more specifically is the one Mm -hmm. that I read, uh, at least a good segment of, talks about the significance of developing systems, systematized business uh, for the sake of scalability for the long haul. Uh, Because if you continue to function as a sole proprietor and, and almost like an employee of a business, like a lot of photographers I think do, it's going to be easy to get stuck in that and ultimately burn out and you won't have that freedom and flexibility. And I love Dave that you've actually developed a workflow that enables you to work about 15 hours a week because I, I've been saying for, for a little while now, I think that most photographers, certainly wedding photographers and, and even portrait photographers could work as little as that many hours a week. When, when you actually look at the things that a professional photographer does, and by the way, I speak from experience. I yeah. shot for over 10 years myself at, at wedding photography yeah. primarily. Um, we don't actually have to do a lot. You know, I mean, there, there is, we have to be intentional, certainly. But if we're shooting 20 to 30 weddings a year, just as an example, and you know, maybe even a few portrait sessions here and there, and, and you break down the amount of time you have in a week, and then ultimately in a month and a year, and the things that actually have to be done, and I'm not talking about sitting around scrolling through Facebook, but the things that actually have to be done in order to accomplish those goals and meet the financial needs that we have and the goals that we've set, it's not a ton. So the idea that we can only that we only have to work 15 or 20 hours a week is very, very realistic. And uh, we're going to actually talk about, again, the significance of automation toward that end uh, here in just a little bit. But I appreciate you sharing those books. Again, we'll link to those in the show notes. And yeah. for those of you listening in, the show notes, if you just go to Boca, B-O-K-E-H podcast 
bookapodcast.com, bookapodcast.com. Haley preps very detailed show notes there. Make sure that you're actually taking advantage of those in conjunction with these episodes. Lots of information to be gleaned from them. What's the uh, the most unusual item that you might be carrying in your camera bag? And, and again, this doesn't have to be a camera or lens or anything comparable. It could be something totally off the wall. What comes to mind? All right, so I'm going. I'm going for the off the wall here. Yes. Um, so granola bars is my uh, is my weird item that's always in my bag. Okay, but we have to break this down in more detail. Like what brand? <laughs> what kind? Seriously, let's go I, there. It gets so much worse. It's the Kirkland brand. Uh, so my generic Costco brand. Okay. Mainly they're 100 calories. I can buy them in bulk, and I like any spare space in any one of my camera bags. There's a hundred percent chance there's at least like three or four granola bars crammed in there. Okay, but what what flavor though? We're, we got Kirkland. Oh no, I'm going chocolate chip. That's okay, I'll, and and 100 100 calories isn't bad. Just pop that, and it's it's not you're not stuffing yourself. You're not getting worn down in the process, but you get a nice little kick in energy probably. Yep, and uh, and it's funny because like I started doing this. Uh, years ago back when i was still doing some uh, i did some political work that had like just really just ridiculous hours and so i started like all right well, i gotta be in there and uh as i did more and more weddings i realized that like a lot of times other vendors wouldn't have food and we'd be out there and so they'd be like talking we'd be doing anything or sometimes i've even had like brides and grooms where like we're doing portraits or something like a good like 20 minutes away from their venue and they're like i'm starving and i'm like hey it's 90 degrees outside here have a granola bar like, <laughs> don't please don't pass out on me and it originally started because like i just realized i'm like hey i'm there to work and i don't care if i get fed i don't care when i get fed i just need something to like get me by yeah. so i originally started doing that but then it kind of also transitioned out into a way to kind of like just tell people like hey i'm here for you like if you need food if you need whatever it is like i'm here and so other vendors have really appreciated that a lot like a lot of uh specifically a lot of newer vendors like newer djs or uh, who was it the uh the videographer a few weeks ago just to, it was like a 12-hour day and he didn't bring anything but he'd been in business for like a year and a half and so he was like oh man i didn't know we went this long i was like thanks like, <laughs> for now yep no, it's good to be prepped in advance. And we've talked about this on the podcast before too, but it bears repeating that, you know, this, this idea that we go with the expectation of being taken care of as though we're a wedding guest. Um, I, I think it gets in the way of that focus on, on serving and being there as the photographer to capture the day. So if we get the, if we get the meal during the reception, awesome. And I understand the significance of, of good nutrition and being able to have you know a meal <laughs> with, with just a wide variety of food that ultimately is going to Re, kind of replenish our energy stores, if you will. But if that doesn't happen, being prepared accordingly uh, is a really smart and, and ultimately simple thing to do. And if it's Kirk, Kirkland granola bars, that, that that's what works for you, then go to town. <laughs> that's yes, awesome. I don't have an affiliate link or anything. So Costco <laughs> has these things for 64 of them for like nine bucks. Oh, wow. And uh, you get to take care of yourself and, and, I've eaten them while holding my camera in my other hand, still shooting. So it's a pretty convenient snack on a day. Brilliant. Love it. Well, you know what? Let's let's keep going and, and actually get back to this topic of automation, kind of dig into it in a little bit more detail. And, you know, we've talked about the significance of time and how to create it, uh, even mentioned the significance of automation in that regard. Before we talk about how to more effectively automate, it's I really I put a lot of importance and significance on philosophy that drives why we do what we do. And so I'm curious if you can just kind of on a very basic philosophical level, explain yeah. the significance of automation as it relates to creating more freedom in our lives as photography business owners. 
Yeah, so I like to think of it this way. Like a lot of photographers want a handwritten note all the time and that's great, but you have to think about it. So if you were actually handwriting out a letter, like you're gonna stamp this with your wax seal, like you're gonna go to the nines with this thing. How many times per client engagement are you planning on doing that? And so if you if a client reaches out to you, so the first time they reach out, you're, you're gonna send them over this handwritten letter. All right, great. But then they wanna schedule their email, their engagement session with you. Are you still gonna do that that second time? And then when their invoice is due and they don't pay it. So then it's due a second time. Are you still gonna do that wax seal every single time you're doing it? And I think a lot of business owners approach automation with that like, oh, well, it's just not personal. But at the same point, they think that every single thing has to be super, super personal. So philosophically, I've got three questions that I that I go through before I automate anything that I always look for for automation. And that's, have I done this more than once? Is sending this email manually worth the time it's gonna take from me? And then this is my big one. If I forget to send this, will my client be more frustrated than if I send it on time and it's just not as personalized. Hmm. And that, and those are the, the real big things where when it comes to automation, I think so many people want it to be so personalized all the time where yeah. like if somebody's balances do, it's pretty easy for me to send them an automated invoice reminder that says, hey, you've got a balance being due. And it actually is better for their client experience if I'm sending it automated because then they don't think I'm personally harassing them for money. <laughs> well, not only that, but it, I think it's easy then to, to almost project onto the situation that, oh, this client's not good. They're not going to think it's highly of me or their experience with me. If I, as you pointed out earlier, you know, didn't write a handwritten note or didn't actually pick up the phone and call them in every single instance. And it's funny, I was just having a conversation with one of the, the uh, management on our team at Photographer's Edit. Uh, her name is Tanya. She heads up customer service. And we were talking about the way that we're spending time and ultimately the way that we have various members of our team allocated the things that they're doing. And uh, one of the things that we have put a lot of priority on is making personal phone calls to new clients, to clients who are placing first orders, and then ultimately to clients who've been working with us for some time as well, or, or who are placing ongoing orders with us. I, I think there's something to be said for that personal touch. But the conversation that we are having today also was looking or considering how effective is that effort? Is it worth the, as you pointed out earlier, the amount of time that we're putting into that? Is this, you know, am I ultimately projecting the significance that I find in it on the experience of everybody else? Does it actually matter that much more to them and how they see photographers edit? Um, yeah. and, and I don't have an immediate answer to that. And this is something that we're going to kind of go through and try to figure out um, and, and ultimately make some decisions about. But I think it's really great that you bring up the, the, the importance of at least taking the time to consider, is automation an option here? Is it really going to take away from my brand's presence in my clients' lives by automating some of these things? Yeah. And I think a lot of times there's things you can use automation for that aren't just the immediate thoughts. Like everyone just thinks of like, oh, my automation. So that's going to be my invoice reminders, my questionnaires and my scheduling. And that's like, that's it. That's all that they think of in terms of automation. But there's so much you can do to increase your brand's presence and like awareness inside of your clients' lives with automation that there's no way you'd be able to do otherwise. Mm. Like So when I when a client reaches out to me, I have about three to five personal points of contact with them from the time they reach out to me originally and the time that they are married, done, uh, out the door, like they're no longer my problem. Uh, and I've got three to five like personal, like, hey, I'm super involved in this. But I have 47 emails 
that want the templates that go out to be different. So like probably client, every client doesn't get every single one. Um, so it's probably closer to like 30 or 35 emails that every single client gets from me wow. in that gap. And so you think about seven times the amount of times that I'm doing something personal, they think that I'm doing something personal, like actually being involved with them. And it's crazy how much more taken care of my clients seem now that I automate things than before I ever automated anything. Huh. Now, you, you mentioned being able to send out these many emails. Do you have, maybe we're going to be talking about this when we get to tools here in just a little bit, but what platform are you using to send out that many to these clients? Yeah, so I, I primarily use Tave and Shootproof, and they both have automated email systems built in. Okay. Um, so a lot of the stuff with Tave is probably what does most of my heavy lifting, including like the contracts and questionnaires and all that stuff. But it also does an email campaign like based on if they're a lead. So, and it's super customizable to the point where like I do weddings all over the states. And so I used to have on my contact form, uh, where are you located? And then if they were in North Carolina, they get one sheet of pricing back and then a different conversation and a different one. So Tabe does most of my heavy lifting, but Shootproof, once the gallery gets delivered, a lot goes on in the Shootproof side of things as well in their automated emails. Okay. And maybe we can get into to some of that in a little bit more detail here in just a second. But if you don't mind, just yeah. we repeat those three, three questions that you said that you ask yourself when you're determining whether or not something is going to be automated? Yeah, 100%. So the first one and the most important one is, have I done this more than once? Okay. Uh, so outline your week, look at what's going on and see, you know what, I've sent this email three times this week, Yeah. like to, to four to three separate people or like, and just look at that because there's a good chance if you've done something, if you're doing the same task more than once, you're wasting your time um, and it could just be a template or an automation. So if you don't want to do it completely automatically, build it out as a template and stop sending the same thing. Yep. Like, yeah, we, when a new inquiry reaches out, we change and we, oh, you're getting married at this venue. All right, cool. Let me talk about this one. But you still have that same paragraph that introduces you to your pricing. And if you don't have the same thing every single time, you're never going to be able to measure effectiveness. And so you want to be able to look at that long term and see, is this going on? So you want to start building out those templates. So have I done this more than once is probably the biggest indicator that something should be automated. Okay. Number two is, is sending this email manually worth the time from my hourly rate? That's the important thing that it's going to take. Um, so in an hourly rate, if I can send out 20 emails in an hour, what does it look like if like I'm going to be sending it out manually and every single time, like, is this really adding that much value to my client's experience where I'm willing to take that much time out of my day to send it over? Yeah. And, and that, that hourly rate conversation variable there is, is so, so important. It's, it's great that you brought that up. It's yeah, I, and I, I could do tangents on hourly rate and how much money. Because like when I told you I was doing fifty weddings a year, my hourly rate that year, when I broke it all down on what my profit was and everything like that, uh, I was making like seven bucks an hour. Like, wow. uh, if that, I think that's actually a way overshot of what I was actually making when you when you count out my time. And I was doing real well for myself that year. I mean, on on paper, my numbers looked awesome. Sure. But, uh, there is that flip side. And so sending that email, is that actually worth it from your hourly rate? Got it. What's the last question? Yeah. And the last one is, if I forget to send this, will my client be more frustrated than if they get a less personal response, but it gets delivered on time? Got it. So like, am I going to, if I don't send this out today, but I personalize it three days from now, but it's like a day late, does that matter as much as them getting a less personal one, but right when they need to? Okay. So now you, you mentioned automating communication, but what are some of the other more significant elements of your business that you're currently automating? 
So you can do a lot um, with a little bit of digging. There's this awesome co- tool called Zapier, um, yeah. and it kind of connects a bunch of things together. And so I found that I can take Tave emails and I can email questionnaires uh, outside of Tave that I've taken in inside of Tave and actually email them to my blog via Zapier. And so now all my blog post stuff is done from Zapier. And all I have to do is log in, upload pictures, and call it a day. And so there's some pretty crazy stuff you can do in terms of automations. That's probably my favorite one because that used to take me about an hour all said and done to transfer everything over. So 20 weddings a year is where I kind of sit right now, 20 to 30. That's 30 hours of my life that's back in my pocket that I can do whatever I want with. You have communication blogging, which is, by the way, I mean, we've, the significance of, or the blogging still holds such a significance when it comes to our, our web presence, um, oh, yeah. particularly with regards to SEO that uh, it does actually matter. I mean, I, I was even left wondering how much blogging actually mattered with the, the presence of Facebook uh, some time ago anyway, but, but we've had recent conversation regarding SEO practices and how blogging is tied significantly to that, that cannot be minimized. Oh, yeah. Blogging is the the easiest money you're going to make. And that's one of the things where I'm like, all right, well, I have to do this. It's not like I can just ditch it. But I really hate doing it. So let me see what I can do to kind of circumvent that a little bit. And so now, I mean, it's gotten to the point where I automate the the posting of it and doing everything like that. I actually pay somebody an hourly rate to go in and upload the images. So it's, it's completely off my plate. And it's taking them less time. So now I'm paying them less per hour or well, less hours than I was beforehand. So it's, it's just a nice way to kind of get some of that stuff off your plate and go from there. How long did it take you to set up that workflow with Zapier? The first time I was kind of like really trying to figure it out and make some sense of it. So the initial setup probably originally took me about an hour. Okay. Maybe, yeah, you could ballpark and say like somebody doing this for the first time, I, you're going to have to message their support. If it's like just not your language, it'll take you two hours. Yeah. Um, but but so you know still. you point out that I mean the the possibility that it might take two hours to then save hours and hours and hours and hours after that and and a lot of photographers might argue well I'm you know I'm just not um, tech savvy workflow is not my thing it, it's really understanding the significance of the investment of time in setting up these workflows initially granted you may not fully understand how to go about this process we have this wonderful tool called google that we can actually leverage <laughs> and as you pointed out yeah. the, the support teams associated with these various companies it may take a little bit of initial time investment that's okay yeah making that effort though translates to incredible amounts of time saved on the other end i mean this is a conversation that uh, we have at photographers edit quite a bit the significance of taking the time to communicate it, it is a in many cases with these companies that that we might work with there might be some type of relationship involved it certainly is with photographers edit it requires the investment of time more specifically in communication in order to establish the workflow but once that set up been going the amount of time that you save on the flip side of that is more than worth it so understand that there may be an investment and time setting up these workflows, but that it is going to pay off significantly and it's worth setting them up. You know, I mean, the conversations you always hear around solutions like Tave uh, or ShootQ or, or some of these other CRMs or CSMs is that it takes so much time to set it up and they're complicated. And that may be the, point, the, the case to a point, but being willing to invest in the time initially is going to save you tons down the road. It's, and it's tons. Like, so the best thing that I tell photographers that are straight like, oh, it's going to take time to set up. I'm like, the easiest way to get a raise is to work less hours. Like that's, you're, you're going to make more per hour simply by putting in less hours. And that's the, the thing that I think people miss is, 
yeah, like I may shoot less weddings than I shot years ago. And maybe my revenue figure doesn't look as impressive to others as it used to. But the truth is my hourly rate has gone up over 200% since then. Wow. Since I started paying attention to all this stuff. And that's even, and that's like, like even through the process of like, all right, now I'm going to cut this stuff out to where it is now. My hourly rate is something that I can have a pretty good conversation with a lot of people about, but that didn't happen unintentionally. It didn't happen like, oh, well, I'm just going to do this. Like it was like, all right, you know what? Today I'm going to take an hour trying, I'm going to take an hour, sit down, and I'm going to just learn how to use Zapier for this or just learn how to use whatever for this. And so like the first time I set up Tave, it took me a little bit of time to get there. But like now 40 different emails automated out to my clients is pretty crazy. Well, we're going to link to these tools that we've mentioned already, Zapier, uh, Tave, uh, in the show notes again, bocapodcast.com for those of you listening in. But I'm curious, are there any more automations uh, or elements of your business that you're currently automating, Dave, that you might be able to mention? Yeah. So I think one of the other things is, um, and this is a, this is a me thing. So like, it's a same as the four, four hour work week, take it for what it's worth. But I found I can get a lot of passive income by using a little bit of an upsell process after the wedding. So so many people, they deliver the wedding and that's it. They're, they're done. So I've got an automated email that goes out after the wedding talking about first off an affiliate program for my brides and grooms and says, Hey, refer me some work and I'll take real good care of you. But I also use Shootproof's automated emails because they've got this gallery thing, which is awesome. So if anyone logs into the gallery, adds something to their cart and doesn't check out, I'll actually send them an email afterwards. I actually asked them about this. They said people with that actually wound up making 20% more or more than 20% more on that gallery. And so I'm actually using automation not only to just free up my time, but it does make me more money in the long run as well. So like I'm using it to grab send people that haven't ordered an album yet and the album order and say like, Hey, if you're interested, this is some of the stuff I'm doing. And it's not that I don't want to take an IPS approach or that I don't want to take an approach. that's a little bit more hands-on. It's that I really enjoy the amount of free time I have in my life yeah. to spend with my wife and family. Yep. And that's my priority. If you wanted to take that same free time and turn it around and like building a bigger business or doing whatever it is, you could do that as well. Just don't think of automation as just the, the back and forth. Like you can use it to make yourself more money and it looks like it's coming from you. It's not really a big thing or just automate it, save it as a draft and then send it out from there. So real, no end of possibilities for what you can do with that. For sure. Yeah. Well, we'll link to Shootproof in the show notes as well. I forgot to mention that earlier, but this reminds me of the experience that we had with a company that unfortunately no longer exists, but Pictage back in the day as, as a wedding photographer, the automation yeah. that the Pictage worked into their workflow uh, or implemented in their workflow there with emails made us, I, I mean, created incredible amounts of sales when it came to prints. We, we decided to, to develop a model which was focused on charging a premium upfront. And yeah. to your point, Dave, not spending a ton of time on the back end and sales, but fortunately, Pictage would do work for us and we could generate. I mean, I remember one holiday season, just thousands of dollars in sales as a result of just some automated emails that they were sending out and we weren't having to do any extra work for that. Uh, there is an opportunity to be able to leverage something like automation for the sake, not only of financial benefit or time benefit, but also the, the financial benefit as well. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, I literally paid for my entire Christmas for my entire house, all of our Christmas budget this year. And the best part was like we budgeted for Christmas and then I ran a winter sale for like all all my galleries and everything like that. And it was all completely automated. I set the whole thing up in maybe, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes. Yeah. And it wound up paying for my entire Christmas fund, every single thing. 
and I didn't have to do anything. I was watching stuff roll in and I, I was out, I think my, my family and I, we were out hiking and wow. I, was, I was getting emails in like people placing orders. I'm like, this is the coolest thing that has ever happened to me. Like being out with my family and we're hiking and like, I've still got my phone on me. So like, I know what my business is doing. I'm not really super paying attention to it, but watching my phone, like ding, like three times, four times every like 20, 30 minutes. And be like, <laughs> this is crazy. Like, yeah. how does this, how does this happen? And I'm making money while I'm doing what I love. And so I think there's, there's a balance to that. And the best part is, is I, I'm not taking advantage of my clients. I'm giving them something that I truly find valuable and I'm still coming back to that. I'm still serving them by saying like, Hey, I do think Prince of Valley, I do think this stuff is here, but I'm also bringing that back to what's valuable for me. And my clients can appreciate that. Like, it's a good thing that I spend time with my wife and kids. It's a good thing that I'm enriching myself as a human being on this planet. That sometimes I'm like, whatever it is that I'm working on, that I'm giving my all to that. And I'm not working around the clock. Cause that's really what matters to my clients is seeing that I do. Yeah. I, I'm actually a person. <laughs> I yeah. do things. It's such a big... <laughs> I do things. Yeah. That's something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think everyone, everyone has this expectation that they look and they think that their clients all think that they're going to be behind the computer all the time. Like all the people that message me like, Oh, when, when's my gallery going to be ready. Right. And so we've all gotten that email a million times. And so I've done two things. I preempted that with an email back to them the day after the wedding automatically that says, Hey, just so you know, here's what to expect from me over the next six weeks. So that goes out, right? But in addition to that, if I do get that text still, I'll send them like, hey, I'm out with my family right now. Um, I'll probably check back in with you on Monday morning or something like that. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had somebody like lose their mind with me. Like, oh my gosh, why are you not working? It's a Sunday at 3 p.m. <laughs> like, like they know that you're a human being. And sometimes I think we treat ourselves worse than our clients do. Mm. And then we project that onto our clients and expect that they have the same expectations. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So just because somebody texted you doesn't mean they expect you to be working. It means they're thinking of it right then. Yeah. So they're shooting you a text. And so if you like respond back with, they'll be ready when they're ready. Like now you just ruin that client's expectation when they're just like, oh, shoot. All right. Well, never mind. And when it could have just been like, oh, you're out with your family right now. Oh, don't worry about it. I'll I'll catch up with you next week. Um, And so you set the tone there when it's really just about your expectations for yourself. Love it. Well, I mean, this has been a thought-provoking conversation and certainly a valuable one uh, for myself as well as our listeners. And I, I really appreciate you making time to, to share your thoughts on this, Dave. And I know that um, you have some experience teaching in this. Are there other ways that our, our listeners can learn a little bit more about these principles? Do you have workshops coming up? Um, I, I know that we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but anything that you can share where they can learn more about these principles for the sake of their business? Yeah, so in the in the past, I've done uh, a lot more of a bigger scale kind of workshop thing. I've I've kind of scaled it back a little bit to do one on one stuff. And so the contact for that, you can actually go right to my website, just DaveShea.com. Or if you want an easy way to find my website, you can go to MyPhotographerLovesTacos.com. <laughs> Brilliant. Which is super easy, easy to remember, and get in touch with me directly there. So that's where I'm doing it. I'm doing one on one coaching right now and guiding people through. Hey. Here's how you build out your business in terms of systems, in terms of setting stuff up. And here's how you take your life back from your business. So you stop working your life away. So good stuff. Yeah. Well, and we'll make sure to link to all of these in the show notes, uh, Instagram as well, Dave Shea and, uh, Dave, again, thank you so much for making time for the Boca podcast for our listeners, for, for sharing what you've learned, uh, in the significance of time and how to get more of it back. Uh, such a pleasure, man. I love what you guys do. And uh, being here is really, really a privilege that I, I can't thank you enough for. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Come